And so I, I wrote a little blog. I said that seminary professors should interpret exegetically. Now I never had had this professor in any class before. He was an undergrad guy. But uh, a couple days later, it was two days later, I had a message from, uh, I believe it was, it was the vice president of the school, and said, he said that uh, I, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have posted this thing. Now, mine, realize, this is on my personal blog, and I'm writing about a bigger political issue. This just happens to be, I thought, a good example of the error of presentism and eisegetical interpretation when it comes to history. So I'm using this as an example. I wasn't trying to just you know, I, I was upset that the school, I, I did put in there, you know, I was thankful for people at the school, but I was upset that my tuition money is going towards things like this. But my purpose was to illustrate the bigger political point on my personal blog. Vice president of the school reaches out to me and he said something I think very telling. He, he talked about the reason that I was wrong to write what I did was because I'm treating this professor who's a history professor as a Bible guy. And I wrote back to him and I basically said, look, it doesn't matter whether you're a Bible guy or not. Everyone's uh, everyone should interpret exegetically. It doesn't matter. There's not a distinction between this field and another field. The rules apply either way. And uh, this made me realize something, uh, something that I'll, I'll probably develop a little more later. But the school, this is how schools become liberal. Okay, other influences outside that people that don't have perhaps a, and maybe they're not even aware of it but they don't have a christ-centered historiography let's say or pick whatever discipline you want science whatever uh, they will infiltrate and then maybe they're not even trying to infiltrate but they just they, they become professors out of school and because you know maybe they're very involved in their church maybe they could be even strong christians you know very they love the lord but they've been taught from the point that they were a little kid all the way through high school, through college, graduate school, PhD, they've been taught a worldly philosophy. And now because they have a personal relationship with Christ and all the rest, there's a, they can go teach at a seminary. So there's a compartmentalization. There's, there's this discipline, which is, uh, we're gonna use history as the example here, but we could use any number of, uh, philosophy could be one, any number of disciplines. But there's this discipline, and I, I learned about this discipline in these secular places, and I adopted secular philosophy. That's, that's the, the point that's uh, dangerous. It's not necessarily going to these places, it's adopting their philosophy. And then though, be, because I'm a Christian, um, I can sign the statement of faith at the school and, and everything's fine. And I'm be involved in my church and be looked. And, and so the guys over here, right, who are the seminary professors teaching Bible, who are uh, church guys and pastors, they're, they're saying, oh, when it comes to this field, counseling, history, science, uh, go to this guy because he's the specialist. He's the expert on this. You know, I, I know this field. And so different rules apply to the different fields. The problem is these rules that apply to different fields are different. And so they actually contradict one another. They, they don't mesh. And, and I think that's one of the reasons that schools tend to go liberal. I mean, the Ivy Leagues were started as seminaries. They went liberal because other final authorities came to dominate disciplines within the university. And it's impossible for those influences not to seep in to things that directly affect Christianity. So social justice can seep in. A neo-Marxist idea, critical race theory, these things can seep in 
into theology and introduce categories that are, aren't even in the Bible because so-and-so, the specialist over here, or group of specialists, say that these things are, are true or important. And, and so you have now generations that grew up under secular thinking, public school. Um, <clears throat> it, it is a secular religion. Uh, they start teaching at Bible schools, seminaries, and so forth. They train the next generation of pastors. Those pastors grow up, and those pastors have adopted a compartmentalized view. Here's Christianity over, over here, and here's these other disciplines. And they, and they have different final authorities. And they're okay you know, living with that, apparently. And so this process continues, and it gets worse and worse and worse. So these, these guys who got trained at the seminary, who have a compartmentalized worldview, then they go back and they become the Bible teachers. So you can see how this you know, problem uh, becomes exasperated. And I, I think that's kind of what this, this gentleman revealed in a sense. And, and I'm sure, you know, I don't know him very well, but I'm sure he's a very nice gentleman. I'm sure, you know, I'm assuming he loves the Lord. I have no ill will at all. Um, I, but it was a very telling statement that he made that, uh, that there's Bible guys and then there's the experts at, at these fields. So uh, I'm not going to go into full details on this, but uh, I did end up meeting with the professor that I wrote about or that I used as an example. I wasn't writing about him in particular, but I, I, I probably met with him for an hour. Um, I, don't, I, I don't think it'd be wrong for me to share details about everything that transpired, but um, I don't want it to distract. It's a petty personal situation kind of, or it became that. It wasn't on my end, but it, it sort of became that way. Um, I don't want that to distract, but what I do think the important point of this is I was told that someone from academic affairs wanted to meet with me about something I had said on a personal blog. And I didn't meet with them. Um, I kind of headed it off partially because of that meeting that I had uh, with the professor, but it reminded me of what my professor had said, another, another professor who had said that if I said what I really believe, I would be fired. He works for the campus. I don't. I'm paying the campus <laughs> to learn. I'm a student. But a student posting on his personal blog, his personal views, uh, was reached out to by higher-ups, was you know, told that you know, he may have to meet with academic affairs. That's concerning. Uh, that doesn't sound like a place necessarily of learning. That sounds like a place where you need to toe the line. Guarantee you, if I had written about said, hey, I, I had this professor in class and I disagree with him about eschatology. Here's why I think he's wrong. Here's why I think I'm right. Or if I said, hey, Calvinism or hey, creationism, I don't think I'd be having someone reach out to me. That's my, I mean, I didn't do those things, so I don't know, but I, I really don't. Um, but because this is an area that there's an orthodoxy set up now. This is, you can't, you're a heretic if you um, deny social justice and the gospel of reconcil racial reconciliation. Because of that, it was an important deal. So uh, that gives you some idea about the environment at Southeastern. Um, <clears throat> principal pluralism. I wanted to talk about this. Uh, kind of, we're kind of closing up now with my experience. But uh, one of the, I'm not going to name him, but one of the young, kind of new guys who's uh, popular at Southeastern and blogs a lot. Um, he did a chapel message and this is a this is actually the message that he gave, I've heard this idea disseminated around Southeastern and other places. But he said that um, conservatives idolize their country. And he kind of blasted nationalism. It was very bad. 
And to, to his credit, he has said liberals, you know, they, they have their idols as well. And he was using the story of Daniel. Uh, and and I, when, I was read, when I was listening, I was kind of like, okay, he doesn't understand what traditional conservatism is then because conservatism is literally the idea that there's God and then God has given responsibilities to government. They're a ministry of justice. And government has this narrow lane of justice, whereas the family has the ministry of education and the church, the ministry of grace, and you know, different God's law applies to all these these institutions, but different laws apply. They apply in different ways, but um, but yeah, justice is given by God, and that's conservative. Conservatism rests in that idea. That's the government's role. It's a limited role, limited government, right? Liberalism says no, God is the government. So literally making government an idol. And so in this speech, he was I'm like, no, they're not. He made out like liberalism and conservatism are equally guilty of idolatry, and you making an idol out of your culture is some. You know, this is such a big problem. And uh, I thought that's that's not conservatism. You know, um, and and it, even I think he had a distorted view of what nationalism is. I mean, we're supposed to love our countries. So where, where do you draw that line? At what point? Yeah, sure, that can anything can become idolatry, but there's a proper place for loving one's country. But today, in evangelicalism. Uh, I guarantee you at Southeastern, nationalism is bad, very bad thing. Don't, you shouldn't, it's to the point where, um, I mean, I think it's a reaction to Trump probably, but yeah, it's uh, it's every tribe, tongue, nation. You're constantly told every tribe, tongue, nation, every tribe. Of course, of course it is. Um, but uh, the idea behind this thinking, uh, the conclusion of this chapel message was that we should have what basically was a principled pluralism, that we should we should all get along in this secular country where we have our beliefs and we have our Christian beliefs and uh, and other people can have their Muslim or their Hindu or whatever. They can all, everyone can have their beliefs, but we get along because we have a principled pluralism. And this idea, I mean, this speech wasn't necessarily the, that wasn't even the main point of the speech, but I noticed this idea was in it. And I, I remember I had to read a book for one class that was all about this. And um, this idea is on campus. They think that we're going to, I don't know if it's saved Christianity or what, but we're going to have principle pluralism, which means we can survive. And uh, so the problem is that leftists are totalitarian. That doesn't work. Uh, people on the left view government, like I said, as God, and they will stifle your free speech. And we're, we're watching that right in front of our faces. We're watching, uh, obviously, bakers and florists and, uh, you know, photographers get targeted because they won't do a gay wedding. Liberals are totalitarian. You cannot, there, there is no secular middle ground where we can all just kind of agree. The, the country itself was formed on generally general Christian principles. And those principles are what, uh, are what made possible some range of belief because of uh, freedom of conscience. Those principles being gone, Christianity not, you know, America rejecting Christianity as its religion. And someone's gonna say, oh, it was never, America never had Christianity's religion. Nine of the 13 states had official churches when the constitution was ratified. And I mean, I could give you, I'll say that for another blog. But yes, America very much built on Christian assumptions. George Washington, gospel made, uh, the constitution was made for a moral and uh, as George Washington, I think, said, he said a version of this, but I think it might have been, um, I'm thinking maybe I'm thinking of uh, John Adams, but the gospel was made for a moral and religious people, uh, inadequate for any other. And um, 
and, and we don't have that kind of people anymore. So principal pluralism is the solution Southeastern, I would say, advocates, or it's just in the, it's, you swim in it. It's, it's just what people assume. And, uh, and that's not, not feasible, but it, it's important um, for me to mention this because it's gonna play into kind of my conclusion here. Uh, two, two last things, the academic standards, um, actually this is important, have gone downhill. Hermeneutics was dropped as a requirement for the MDiv. Now they still teach it, but you have to use it, uh, you know, unless you're doing an advanced MDiv, it's gotta be an elective. That is frightening. So now you got a bunch of pastors, I mean, no wonder they're having a hard time interpreting historical monuments and so forth. I mean, if you're not gonna teach hermeneutics, that's the foundation for a seminary education. Uh, one of the theology courses was dropped and they're replacing them with what I would consider fluff. Classes that, um, I don't wanna name any of the classes, <laughs> um, but classes where you're learning strategies for church growth and um, how to do spiritual disciplines, things you probably should know whether you had a class on it or not, things you should have gotten way before probably even coming to seminary. But um, I empathize a little bit. Southeastern is noticing, I think, that a lot of guys get out there on the field, they make a mess of things, and wow, they weren't praying or they weren't uh, doing their spiritual disciplines. Well, you know, they did something stupid. We gotta have a class for that. I think that's probably what's going on partially, but cutting from hermeneutics, there's something at play there. I can't fathom why, that, why you would cut that out of your program as a requirement. Um, so, uh, the other thing I, I wanted to say was, um, I've heard that there's a brain drain going on on campus, not my word, it was someone else's, but that, uh, older professors are leaving partially because of the social justice. So there's, there's rumors floating around there about professors being asked to leave and, and professors, um, looking for other opportunities because of the environment there. I don't know whether that's true because I haven't spoken to anyone personally except the one professor that I mentioned earlier, but I wouldn't be surprised. And I have noticed that the places of prominence, which means what shows up on Southeastern's Twitter, their blogs, their who speaks in chapel, the symposiums they have, the young professors that they're promoting more or less are not intellectually uh, from my interactions, anything like those who are leaving. So I'll, I'll leave that there. That, that has to do with the academic standards. So to review, here's, here's my conclusions and my explanations for why this is all happening. My conclusion is that Southeastern has adopted principal pluralism as a way to share something in common with the world. Now they may not be conscious of this, but it, that, that is at least the effect it has. Um, you can, you know, it, like Danny Aiken's video, we can agree, we can work together on this, you know, where there's this middle ground that we can kind of, this neutral territory that we can meet on. Um, <clears throat> so principal pluralism plays its part and uh, critical race theory, feminism, and, and things that are really, these are, they introduce categories that are outside of scripture. These things are, I think because of principal pluralism, opening that door, because of um, uh, people that are, have been educated in secular institutions, those things have been brought in now. And they've, it's syncretism. I mean, it, it's been wedded to scripture. There's Bible verses sometimes that are used to support them, but you look and it's not, Bible verses isn't talking about the same thing you're talking about. Uh, and this has uh, twisted the mission of the school as engaging culture. And, and really engaging culture means it's a way to make peace with the world. It's, because uh, every time culture's engaged, like I said, it's all the leftist uh, things. It's all the, it's, it's being for um, unlimited immigration and 
um, being for affirmative action and, and welfare things. And I mean, every time it's brought up, it's never it's not brought up for conservative um, topics or things that conservatives tend to care about. It's always things media cares about. So, um, and then uh, the gospel is essentially because of all this is redefined as a way. Um, got, using the term, I should say, gospel issue, not the gospel, but the term gospel issue um, is defined as a way to uh, stifle those who disagree. So, so if you, let's say, I'll give you an example, right? I disagree with uh, unlimited immigration. Even that word, I shouldn't even be using that, illegal immigration. It's not even immigration, migration. Um, see how the, the word, controlling the words really controls the argument, but um, I disagree with that. I don't think anyone without being vetted should just come in this country, right? I think a barrier is a good idea. So I, I, these, these are my beliefs. And I would rest those things on the idea, this Christian idea, that government is supposed to protect its people. It's responsible for its people. And protecting them is the number one goal of government. And especially if people are breaking the law, I mean, justice must come to bear on this. Well, um, that's a very simple explanation. Maybe I should do a longer <laughs> video sometime on that topic. But because I believe that, and because that is, let's say, not compassionate, or they'll twist, there's a scripture that's often twisted in the Old Testament about how to treat strangers, and this is somehow endorsing illegal immigration. Uh, because those, um, because I'm out of step with the thinking on these issues, I'm somehow not uh, in keeping with the gospel because I am not forwarding a gospel issue. I am opposing a gospel issue. A gospel issue is feed all the hungry that come here and that's you know which is a confusion of the responsibility of church and state but uh, but people could say that I'm basically against the gospel because that's a gospel issue and so this is used as a hammer uh, to quell people who disagree so that's what's going on at southeastern why is this going on well I, I explained this a little bit before but I think the compartmentalization uh, is a big part of this. Uh, there's a Christian truth, and then there's, well, there's these various disciplines with secular truths. I think wanting to be loved by the world is the motivation behind most of this. I think, especially younger evangelicals, embarrassed by their parents, embarrassed that the media made them out to be buffoons when they were following, let's say, Jerry Falwell or Pat Robertson or some element of the religious right. Um, they're, they're trying desperately to prove to the world that we do not believe what our parents believed. We're not the crazy right-wing anti-abortion people. We, we also, you know, yeah, yeah, abortion's not good, but let's talk about immigration. Let's talk about climate change. Uh, let's talk about, especially the favorite topic now, uh, racial issues. Now, um, that's gonna change, um, I, I predict. That's gonna change. That's not gonna be the only issue. It may, there's gonna be sexual issues that come into this because the you can't escape the logic of it. But, um, but it's going to be these issues of the left, and they, they want to, the world to know that they're not crazy, like their parents were, at, at least how the media portrayed their parents. So they emphasize uh, these issues that the world also finds palatable. And then thirdly, I think white guilt has a lot to do with it. Um, and the reason I say this is because in the chapels especially, there is a constant effort to denounce segregation. Uh, why are our churches so segregated? We need to stop this segregation. Uh, meanwhile, you know, all the professors that I know, because I've visited all the churches in the area, they all go to white churches and they won't join black churches. So I, 
The reason for it is because a lot of the black churches have different theology. Uh, than in the, you, they wouldn't agree with that theology. They're not Pentecostal. They're not, they're, there's all sorts of reasons for that. It has nothing to do with race. Um, but a lot of these guys who are saying, who, you know, they, they're saying, well, we need to change so that we get, we need to adopt social justice so uh, African Americans, and it's, it's usually African Americans. There's a lot of other races out there, but usually that's the race they focus on. You know, they're going to come to our churches if we adopt social justice, and we're being bigoted if we don't. And uh, meanwhile, they're all going to these white churches and uh, harping on them. Um, and uh, so I don't know if this is purchasing white guilt, purchasing your, your indulgences to say, I go to this church, I'm guilty for everything I'm doing, but because I took this stand, because I said this, I'm somehow okay. I, but it, it's weird. Um, and they, you know, another focus is the, obviously the sins of previous generations uh, are harped on a lot, a lot of talk about the civil rights movement, a lot of talk about slavery and how bad these things were. And um, um, of course, there's horrible things, uh, absolutely horrible. Don't let me sugarcoat any of this. Um, but that being said, uh, these are the sins of, at, at best, fathers. Sometimes they're not even fathers. Sometimes you have no connection to any of these, these horrible things that uh, took place. But, um, but there's an there's a intense focus and obsession with those sins of the past. And of course, it's perpetual. We should always be apologizing. It's like Hebrews 10, 11, always offer, offering sacrifices, these exhausted priests, never able to get forgiveness. So, so when's the day that we're forgiven? I mean, do we need to get a spokesperson to come up and say, I represent all people from this disenfranchised group and, and the homosexuals forgive you and minorities forgive you. It, um, it never runs out. There's always a new statement being made. There's always a new... Uh, effort to somehow prove to people that we're really sorry. <laughs> the SBC is really sorry. Southeastern's really sorry. So they're not taking their comfort from the cross. That the cross, you know, Jesus, all the sins of the world were nailed to Jesus when he was up there on the cross. And that's the reason I went to seminary. It's because I wanted to get that message out there. I wanted to learn how to interpret the word of God in the original languages. Uh, not having it academically dumbed down. I wanted to know Jesus better and his word and have others know him better. And, um, and, and that grace is step one. And it, doesn't, it seems like we're taking a step backwards at some of these institutions because that grace is not paying for what amounts to sins of our fathers at best. So uh, that's why I think there's white guilt going on. Now, why is this all happening now? For those who have gotten whiplash and thought, man, I didn't know this was all going on. You know, MacArthur seemed to be reacting to this um, after MLK 50, uh, when some crazy statements were made. Uh, yeah, MacArthur, you had James White, you had Doug Wilson, and Doug Wilson actually has, to fair to him, he's been writing on this for a while, but uh, <clears throat> there were others, uh, obviously, that um, saw this as a problem. They drafted the social justice statement against this. Their heads were spinning. You know, how did this happen so quickly? I think one of the reasons, it, it was there before, it was there. Uh, when I was there in 2014, I saw glimpses of it, but it was kind of under the surface. I think when Trump got elected, 80% of evangelicals went for Trump, 80%, so the vast majority. And now, and the leaders, uh, the elites, I should say, at academic institutions, they were not recommending Trump. They didn't like Trump. And I think that's really upset a lot of them. I'm not saying that's the only reason, but I think that's really inspired a lot of them to take action now and to say the things that they're saying. Uh, they want control back. 
and um, and they they might get it to some extent. Um, I'm going to make a couple predictions here. I think there are going to be splits within the SBC because pastors being trained at these places are going to go out to their congregations, and their congregations are conservative, and they're going to try to try to impose some of these things. In fact, I just talked to someone uh, not too long ago who went to a church, southeastern guy, um, and he tried to impose this stuff, and this guy had to leave. Says, why are we talking about social justice all the time, and um, and why are we losing focus? So. So that's gonna, there's going to be a split somewhere along the line. Another prediction, I think they'll adopt integrated counseling, meaning psychology with biblical uh, counseling. And, and the reason for that is some of them have kind of cozied up to um, the, uh, I forget the gentleman's name, but there's a, uh, uh, there's a counselor out there who counsels racial trauma, like, uh, people that have, I guess, experienced discrimination, supposedly, and he'll counsel them. And that's specific to what he does. Kyle J. Howard, that's his name. Some of them are friends with his or, you know, along those lines. Well, that, that is not possible. It's not possible to do that from a biblical counseling model. Those categories aren't in the Bible. Um, you counsel someone because of the heart issues they have, and it doesn't, those heart issues aren't red, yellow, black, green, whatever. And uh, so I do think integrated counseling will, if it hasn't already, will become uh, part and parcel of the Southeastern. I think in 15 years, I'm saying 15, um, 15 to 20, I really want to say 15 to 20, they're not going to be Orthodox anymore. Uh, in Either in their practice, it'll be obvious that they're not, or in their statements, they'll actually change them. I don't think it'll take that long. I'm hoping I'm wrong about that. I'm hoping that they turn around. But if they adopt this stuff and it continues, they, they, there's no way. Uh, the academic standards, I think, will also continue to plummet uh, just because that's the trajectory. Here's my encouragement, okay? So I've said all these things that might have you down. Or if you're a social justice guy, you're like, yes. But let me give you encouragement. If you're not a social justice guy, not everyone at Southeastern believes this stuff. Let me say that again. Not everyone believes it. I just had a guy on social media reach out to me who said that they were a Southeastern uh, student. And um, in fact, I wish I, I'm not gonna say it. Anyway, um, I was gonna say something that might, it might describe them though, so I'm not gonna mention it, but they, uh, <clears throat> they are very much against the social justice stuff and uh, discouraged and I encourage them. And there are uh, professors there who do not toe the line, but are, like I said, they're muzzled. They can't really say much. So be encouraged that you're not alone, even if you are on campus listening to this and you have to finish. Uh, also, God will grow his church. That's what Jesus says, right? That he is the one that grows the church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So Jesus says he'll build his church. Southeastern is a parachurch organization, just like every other parachurch organization, Gospel Coalition, Desiring God, um, you know, every other seminary. They're parachurch. They're not the church. Very important distinction. In fact, I've come to the conclusion that seminary really ought to be, it ought to be like master seminary or expositor seminary. It, it, there should be a church attached to this thing. Not just having a church or a chapel on campus. No, I mean like the church is the authority in theological education. And, uh, and I think we're going to be going that direction here soon. I think online education and other things I think are going to make theological education more accessible and the church will be the primary um, I mean, secularism is going to kill this stuff anyways. I mean, if, if secularism continues, um, it's going to be like in Canada where 
recently at Christian College couldn't start a law school. Uh, and, and Canada's going to get worse too, but uh, they're not going to be able to comply with the anti-discrimination measures and everything else. And I think theological education is going to be left up to the church. I don't know if we will have accrediting agencies in the future. So as much as I don't want to see persecution, um, I, I can see that there might be some good points to it because these guys are going to lose their authority in that case. And, um, and the church, it's going to go back to the church. So God will grow his church, and he's going to go around these institutions to do it if they're trying, if they're going against his plan. And, uh, and, and yeah, and the third thing, I already mentioned it, but the seminary model uh, may fall. So, so those, that, those, those are the, uh, the things that I wanted to encourage you all with and, and leave you on that high note. And, uh, and I, I do, if you are looking, I do recommend looking into masters. Um, I do recommend you looking into expositors. I think academically speaking, I've, I've had some connection uh, with uh, Westminster Theological Seminary, and I know they're Presbyterian, you may not, but, uh, but them, Reformed Theological Seminary, uh, there, there seem to be some good things going on, at least in some quarters, and of course some, maybe things have changed, it's been a few years since I looked into them, but they seem at least academically good. And, uh, and so I'd encourage you to go look at those places if you're looking for a seminary as possibilities. Um, but be involved in your church if you're going to do this. And I, I hope you gleaned uh, from what I said. And uh, I know it's controversial. I almost didn't even want to make this, but uh, I felt I needed to. And, uh, and so I have. And uh, if, I, if you're listening to this, uh, then um, you probably are on. <laughs> I said there would be two. There's probably now, with how long I've gone, there's probably three uh, podcasts now out there uh, on this. But... Uh, um, hopefully you got something out of it and uh, maybe you listen to it on double or triple speed so you get through it faster. But, uh, but that's all I got about that topic. Next week, uh, we're going to be talking about something different. I'm going to change it up a bunch. Uh, as you can tell, there's always different topics. Last week was hiking. Uh, this week is, is this. And uh, next week, um, I've been toying with different things. I want to take a little break, I think, because this was... It's kind of exhausting to go over the controversial stuff, the stuff that's controversial now. So why don't we go over stuff maybe from 100 years ago? I don't know. Um, but I'll probably do something that has to do with history or church history, something that's interesting that you haven't thought of before or haven't studied, and, uh, and uh, we'll go from there. So have a good day. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. 
Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.